0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: When it came to the New Covenant, there was a significant struggle in Israel concerning the differences between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. The ministry of the Apostle Paul was mainly focused on explaining the New Covenant and the differences between the Old and the New and that we live according to the New Covenant and not according to the Old Covenant. The Apostle Paul was of course not very welcome in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem. We have many examples of that given to us in the book of Acts. But what's important to understand is that the Hebrews in Israel did struggle with this issue. That it was a subject that separated them from the Apostle Paul, which should tell you that they did not agree with the Apostle Paul concerning the differences between the two covenants. An easy way to understand this is to just simply say that the people in Israel, that is the Hebrews, who believed that the Lord Jesus was the Messiah, still somewhat depended on the Levitical priesthood, or that they still had associations with the Levitical priesthood that there was still a bit of a dependency. As an example, early on in the book of Acts, you can see how Peter and John went to the temple during the hour of prayer, which apparently was something that they were doing on a regular basis. They were still participating in the things of the temple that were defined and governed by the Levitical priesthood. This is very important to understand if you are going to understand what the Hebrews were struggling with at this time, and so that you can also appreciate what is written in the book of Hebrews concerning this struggle? In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11, as an example, the writer says, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? In verse 12, this is Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, of necessity, there takes place a change of the law also. The writer of this letter to the Hebrews mentions these things because these things are the key issues. That they were the key issues that they were struggling with at that time. And for the most part, people do struggle with these same issues today, just in different settings. Even though they're not Hebrews, many Gentiles, many Christians still struggle with the same subject area. And I believe that they can certainly benefit from this letter just as the Hebrews back in the time of the Lord Jesus could have benefited from this letter if they took it seriously. But again, the important thing that I want to focus on right now is first to understand, first to recognize that the Hebrews still had an attachment to the Levitical priesthood. Regardless of what that attachment would be for whichever people were involved, That's difficult to say that's a unique description for each individual. However, Overall, I can say that the evidence is very clear that the believers in Jerusalem, that is, the Hebrews who believed in the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, still lived a life of religious Judaism, separate from the New Covenant. To give you an example, in Acts chapter 15, the elders of the church assembled together to discuss whether or not a Gentile should be circumcised or live in obedience to the law of Moses. Well, they certainly did not ask the question of whether or not a Jew had to be circumcised or live in obedience to the law of Moses. The question was concerning the Gentiles. They believed that if you were a Jew, if you were a Hebrew, then you would have to be circumcised and live according to the law of Moses. That's what the early church believed, as we have testified of in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15 and subsequent chapters following from there. This was a very important subject to the early church and the Apostle Paul struggled with many of the Jews, many of the Hebrews concerning this subject there in Jerusalem and also throughout the rest of the world where he was ministering when he would encounter various Jews at other synagogues or other Hebrews or in some cases other Gentiles even who had converted to Judaism who were wanting to live a life of devotion to the Mosaic Law. There were some very strong disagreements between the Apostle Paul and other believers that Jesus was the Messiah concerning how we should live our daily lives. Now, what's very interesting here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12, is that the writer says that there is, by necessity, a change of the law. That there must be a change. That there is a law under one priesthood, and subsequently there would also be a law under another priesthood. And if there is a change, you must understand or you must at least acknowledge that they would be different, that there would be differences between these two laws, regardless of what these laws are. If one is one, the other one is the result of a change, then they are no longer the same. If they are the same, then there was no change. As an example, when the prophet Jeremiah spoke of the new covenant, he said about the new covenant that it would not be like the old. Well, then, if the way that we describe the new covenant looks anything like the old, then it's definitely not the new, because if it's different, then it has to be different. So likewise, if there is a change, there must be a definitive change. Most people who I've spoken with concerning this will agree concerning this. However, the differences still exist concerning what are those changes. To what extent is there a change? Now, the difficulties that I have concerning this subject when I discuss this with other people who I do not agree with or they don't agree with me, the difficulty is discussing the matter of how much change, what kind of change, how much change, and in what way were things changed. The traditional answer that most people give concerning this is to just simply say that those ceremonial laws that were once in effect that had to do with the sacrificial system those are no longer in effect because of what the Lord Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. That because he is the ultimate sacrifice, that that would be a definitive change. Instead of sacrificing bulls and goats, instead of shedding the blood of animals, instead of doing that, we now depend on the blood of the Lord Jesus. Instead of official animal sacrifices, we do exercise our confession We do present whatever offerings we can as a form of compensation, perhaps, or penance relative to the sins that we committed, but that instead of shedding the blood of an animal, we then subsequently refer to the Lord Jesus and the blood that he shed, and we depend on that instead. And so what people form, or what they create, is a form of Levitical light, in my opinion. What they do is they make subtle changes, only those changes that they believe are relevant to the forgiveness of sins concerning sacrifices, and the rest of the laws are still in effect, are still to be applied in our daily lives. I personally take a different perspective, and that is that I believe that there has been a total change, a complete, absolute change with respect to all of the laws. Now, I understand that there are some laws that are certainly very practical, things like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. I just do not believe that the Lord Jesus relates to us on the basis of those commandments anymore. I don't believe that he holds our sins against us anymore because of what he did. And I don't believe that he's going to withhold any blessings from us because of what we may do. I believe that there is a completely new relationship that is completely separate from the law. There is no argument that we should not be murdering people or we should not be committing adultery or stealing. There's no argument there. The argument has to do with what is going to be the origin behind the dynamic that drives an individual to say no to sin. And the people who I'm competing with or that I am arguing with are taking the position that if we just threaten people enough with enough punishment, then they'll stop it. And I'm taking the position that if a person's heart is changed, then they won't do that. That's the real separation between myself and the vast majority of teachers in Christianity today. That the vast majority of teachers in Christianity today are believing that we just need to change someone's outward behavior and that is acceptable. And I don't find that to be acceptable. I believe that the inward part of a person, that their very being, that their heart needs to be changed, that who they are as a person entirely needs to be totally transformed and recreated into an entirely new creation. And that that is possible through the Lord Jesus, whereas that was impossible through the Levitical priesthood. That's the real issue. That's the real issue that separates me from most folks, is that we're not arguing about whether or not we should expect to see sin reduced in a believer's life. That's not really what we're arguing. What we are arguing is what is going to be the origin behind it. What is going to be the cause of that effect? That is where the argument lies. Now concerning this change of the law, as I was explaining earlier, most people believe that the change has to do with a change in some of the laws. I personally believe that there is a change in the totality of the laws, in the totality of the law of Moses. To what extent and how could this be described? Well, I believe that the Apostle Paul gave a wonderful description concerning this, that we are dead to the law. I believe that that is a very good description concerning this change, that that would be a significant change. To say that you're dead to something means that it no longer has any place in your life, and you no longer have any place in its life. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, it is written, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Now here in this example, in this verse, the Apostle Paul says that we have been released from the law. Now he didn't say released from some of the law, released from the sacrificial law, released from the ceremonial law. He says released from the law. That to me is a clear indicator that we have been released from the law. I'm fairly good at stating the obvious, that we have been completely released from everything that has to do with the Mosaic law to the extent that we have died to it, that we are dead. I mean, let's assume that you perhaps have some trouble with the law for some reason, and it doesn't have to be a criminal issue. It could be a civil matter of some kind. But regardless of that, let's assume that the law has passed judgment on you or the law is about to pass judgment on you. And let's say that you die for whatever reason, you die. If you are dead, no one is going to put you on trial, for one thing. And if you are dead, no one is going to execute judgment against you to demand that you respond with the giving of your resources, your money, your time, or anything like that. There is no way to convict you. There is no way to pass judgment on you. It's over because you are dead So, likewise, concerning the law of Moses, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have been born again by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, you're dead. You are no longer who you once were. You no longer have a place in the world as you once did. You are now a new creation who has a place in the kingdom of heaven. That means that the law has no governing authority over your life in any way whatsoever, That's what it means to be dead. Again, in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, it says, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. You were bound when you were alive. You are now released since you are dead. You are dead in Christ Jesus in that effect. But you have not been set free, released from the law, so that you can go out and indulge your flesh. I realize that some people would certainly do that. I am not one of those people, perhaps maybe you're one of those kinds of people that if you didn't have the law in your life, then you would just go out and indulge your flesh. And if that's the case, then I think that that is a very good indicator that you're probably not saved, that you probably do not know the Lord Jesus. And I would start with the question of, do you know what the gospel is and how would you describe that? And what does that mean in your life? Do you know the differences between law and grace? Do you know any implications What are the implications concerning what Christ Jesus has really done for you? Are you loved by your God? Does he love you? I mean, really, does he like you? Does he accept you? Does he hold your sins against you? Does he not hold your sins against you? These are the kinds of questions that I believe a person needs to consider if that's the case. But concerning being set free, we certainly have not been set free for the purpose of being able to go out and indulge our flesh. As you continue to read in verse 6, it is written, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, which means that if you are going to serve in the newness of the Spirit, there's only one way you can serve in the newness of the Spirit, and that's if you are completely released from the law to the extent where you are dead to it. And if you are not dead to it, then you are not going to serve in the newness of the Spirit. Let me repeat that again. This is very critical for you to understand Because either yourself or you probably know a lot of other people or you perhaps will be coming in contact with people very soon who actually believe that their lives are governed by the law of God. The law in the sense of the law of Moses or the law of their denomination. That they believe that that is how their God relates to them is on the basis of the law. And if that's the case, then you need to understand that according to this verse, either they or yourself are definitely not serving in the newness of the spirit. And so if you are not serving in the newness of the spirit, it is still highly probable that you are saved. I won't debate that. However, your salvation is of no value to you right now. You're going to have to wait until you're dead and you go to heaven to experience any benefit of being saved because you have no way of entering into the new life in Christ Jesus that you have actually been called to. There is no way to serve in the newness of the spirit, which means there is no way for you to serve your God. You need to understand that, that there is no way for you to serve your God unless, of course, you have been released from the law. But those who you know who have not been released from the law, they do not serve God, even though they may claim that they serve God, even though they may be in some kind of a position of authority in a church where they or others claim that they serve God, they do not serve God. There is no way For them to serve God, if this verse is in the scriptures, there's no way for that to be real. A person must be released from the law according to the gospel, according to what Christ Jesus has already accomplished for them in order to walk in the newness of life and serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. It is the Holy Spirit who guides his people. I am not guided by the law. And look, I know the difference between being guided by the law and being guided by the Spirit. You want to argue with me concerning living a life under the law and whether or not I should be living according to the law of Moses? Let me tell you, my friend, I have been there, done that, and bought that t-shirt. I have done that in such a way, to such an extent, that I find it very unlikely that you'll be able to impress me concerning your attempts, concerning your religiosity, concerning your sincerity of pursuing obedience to God be very unlikely that you would be able to impress me in comparison with my attempts during a time in my life when I was trying to live that way. And I know how dead it is. You may not understand how dead it is quite yet, and I pray that one day, if this is what you're wrapped up in, I pray that one day you will discover how dead it is and how much time you have wasted in your life that perhaps the Lord will find a way to reclaim, which I believe he can. But what's important to understand is that I know I know the differences between the two. And so if you don't agree with me, it's important to understand that to the extent where I don't think you should bother contacting me and arguing with me concerning this. Don't waste your time. Use your time for something else that's more constructive because I know the differences between walking according to the law and walking in the newness of the Spirit. And now that I know what it is to walk in the newness of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus on the basis of his love and acceptance for me and how he has fulfilled the deepest needs of my heart and how I have been transformed from who I once was to who he has made me to be today. There is no way, no way I could ever go back to that which I have died to. I am dead to that. That is dead to me. I am alive to the living God not to the deadness of stone tablets where law was written. I walk according to the Holy Spirit who guides me and leads me into all truth, and I walk in response to the truth that he reveals. And I live a life of thankfulness for what I have, for what he has given to me, and I enjoy what he has given to me, and I utilize it in my daily life in all aspects that I can find. And with that, I experience his peace and his joy and his love to an extent where it is beyond description. And so having said that, I pray that you may also see that there is a difference between the two, that there is a difference between being alive to the law and being dead to the law. And subsequently, there is a difference between being dead to your God and being alive to your God. In John chapter 16, verse 12, the Lord Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. I have come to discover what this is. It has been a life experience of growth and maturity in Christ Jesus. And I am thankful that he has matured me to the extent where he can share things with me that I can bear today. And I look forward to how he may mature me in the future so that I can bear more things that I'm confident he will share with me as I continue to grow in my relationship with Christ Jesus. So to say that there is a change of the law, I do believe that there is a law that replaces the law of Moses. I do believe that. I do acknowledge that there are differences between one law, that which was defined through Moses, and another law that is established through Christ Jesus. And I believe that this is described in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, first of all, concerning verse one, if you believe that you are condemned by your God in any way whatsoever, if at any time you are condemned or feel condemned or somebody tries to condemn you or you try to condemn yourself, anything like that, if you feel that you are condemned or that your God is holding any of your sins against you in any way whatsoever, which I believe is a description of condemnation. If you believe that, then you do not know the new covenant. Then you do not know the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, let me take it from the perspective of verse two. It says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So let me ask you, what is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? If you cannot tell me what the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is, the law and its penalty for disobedience to this law, then you are not free from the law of sin and death. That is in accordance with Romans chapter 8 verse 2. Again, if you do not know the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the subsequent penalty for disobeying that law, then you have not been set free from the law of sin and death, which means that you are still under the condemnation that you should be under concerning your sin. Now, the reason why there is no condemnation, let me explain this, concerning the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The reason why there is no condemnation is because the Lord Jesus has already died for all of our sins. That is the only way that there can be no condemnation. However, that doesn't give you salvation, that doesn't resurrect you. In order to be resurrected or to be made alive, you need to be made alive. You need to be resurrected from the dead with the spirit of life, the life of the living God. That is what you need. When the spirit of truth comes, he will dwell within you. He will guide you and lead you into all truth. He will speak to you in the deepest part of your being, whatever he hears from the Father. That's what you experience as a new believer in Christ Jesus. But in order to have the spirit of life, you must receive it. In order to have the Holy Spirit, you must receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the free gift that the living God is offering to everyone in humanity. He has been offering this to the world since he died and rose from the dead. It is the free gift. The spirit of life is the free gift. The Holy Spirit is the free gift. For anyone who will receive him, if you will receive the Holy Spirit, if you will just simply acknowledge that he no longer holds your sins against you, thank him for that. Receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit that he is offering to you by faith. Believe that in accordance with the word that he has said and the truth of it, that you are resurrected That you may not experience any feeling or wonder or sign or anything like that. It will come like the wind. You do not know where it comes or where it goes. That is what you receive, though. You receive the Holy Spirit of God. And the reason why the Spirit of God will not depart from within you is because there is no sin left unforgiven that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from you in accordance with the law of sin and death. That is, when you sin, you die. And death is the absence of life. And so that is why it is so important for the sin issue to be over, because if it is not over, you cannot receive and retain the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot be saved. You cannot be saved unless the sin issue has come to an end. Unless, of course, you want to reduce the seriousness of sin and say it's not so bad anymore, say it's not such a big deal. That's the only thing you can say. And quite frankly, I believe that's what a lot of people are saying, that it really isn't so much of a big deal anymore. But that's, of course, a subject for a different radio broadcast. If you will not receive the free gift of eternal life, you will remain dead. And that is the penalty. The law of the spirit of life is that you must receive the spirit of life or you will be dead. And if you remain dead, you are still bound to the law of sin and death, the law of Moses. But if you are resurrected, you have been released. You have been set free so that you can begin to walk in the newness of the spirit. Which has nothing to do with the law of Moses. It has to do with now having a personal, intimate relationship with the living God on the basis of what he has done for you. I am out of time for this radio broadcast, but a good follow up to this program would definitely be the series of programs that I did on the will of God. And in addition to that would be the programs that I did on our identity in Christ. The will of God is very important because it describes the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, and knowing our identity in Christ on the basis of what he has done is fundamental to understanding the new relationship that we have and that we walk in in accordance with the new covenant that has gone into effect and the new law that governs our lives.